When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mets fans, welcome back to Today Your Love, Tomorrow the World Series. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Chris. And Chris, the Mets have played a comically few amount of games since we last recorded. Uh, we recorded on Saturday morning last week. They have played four games in that time. They lost one against the Mariners and then won one against the Mariners and then won one against the, uh, Bra- the Nationals, rather, and then lost one against the Nationals. Of particular note was at the first game against the Nationals, our own Allison McCaig and Michael Drago were featured on the broadcast with their dog Blue being interviewed by Steve Gelbs. And uh, that is awesome. And uh, I felt we had to start the show with that because that's clearly the most important thing to happen to the Mets this week. Yeah, absolutely. I loved every second of that. And also just the initial shock of seeing people, you know, on the <laughs> on broadcast television? like yes. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're I don't know. That doesn't get old. You know, we've been fortunate to have um, various levels of access. And, and to me, none of that ever gets old, uh, even even at minor league games. But the television appearance is an extreme rarity. And I think any of us have made like an amazing avenue or podcast like official appearance on uh, a TV broadcast. So the fact that we got a dog. And and the the visuals of two of us on there, you know, hey, that that's pretty great. The closest we ever came, and this and this is really stolen valor here, um, which was that when Maggie was writing for Mets Block, Maggie Wigan, one of our uh, illustrious a part of their own podcasters, uh, I want to say she was fan of the game, or maybe her son was fan of the game, and Gary mentioned that he had read her work. So that's the closest an amazing avenue person has come to. I think to being on on television. Yeah. Um, something like that, at least. So, but yes, this was a big deal and it was very fun for them and fun for all involved. So yeah, super, super cool. Anyway, uh, anything from the Mets four games that you want to particularly start with? Hmm. I mean, it, it, we, we'll get to Pete Alonzo in a minute, I guess, but um, it's pretty cool that Francisco Lindor is closing in on a potential 30-30 season. Um, I know last week I was like, oh, set your expectations low for Ronnie Mauricio, but let me compare him to every great player in the history of the Mets. Um, (laughs) But uh, Lindor uh, has the opportunity to, you know, to pull that that feed off, and it's not something that's been super common in Mets history. Um, Howard Johnson is somebody who I think is often forgotten for – Having done that, um, he might have had two 30-30 seasons, actually. Were they both with the Mets? Let's see. But I know uh, Hojo had two seasons that are like, that's when I think of Howard Johnson, I, I think of a good, not great ball player, but he had right. two like amazing seasons. Yeah, he, his, his 30-31, yeah, he had two in a row, actually. No, I'm sorry. Nope. Almost. Almost, Yes. But he had three thirty stolen base seasons, one forty stolen forty one to be exact. Yeah. But yeah, he had um no, oh, sorry. Four. Yeah, no, he had three thirty thirty seasons. Wow. Okay. That's wild. Yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> he might have the most in, t- in franchise history. Actually. I, I think I think he does, yeah. Yeah. But 
Howard Johnson did it. Uh, David Wright did it. Beltron did it, right? Yes. Beltron had to have. I mean, I know he hit the home runs, obviously. I believe he did, yes. Uh, oh, no, not not as a Met. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, no, in 2004, he did it. Um, Man, but- we, we need to, by we, I mean me, I need to reevaluate my thoughts on Howard Johnson. From 87 to uh, 91, he was really, really good for the Mets. Yeah. 36, 24, 36, 23, 38 home runs, uh, 32, 23, 41, 34, 30 stolen bases. Uh, Yeah, I mean, his batting average was never great, but, you know, yeah, real quality. I mean, man, he was 10th. He he finished top 10 in three different MVP voting years, too. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right, Hojo. He's uh, he's up there with I, I haven't deployed him all that often in uh, Immaculate Grid, but he's similar to Jeff Bagwell in the regard that people forget about the uh, stolen base component of their game. Yes. Uh, Bagwell, by the way, as as longtime listeners know, uh, probably my favorite non-Met of all time. Um, excellent answer in Immaculate Grid. He checked, rookie of the Year, MVP. All-star, gold glove, silver slugger. Uh, he, he's hit 300 in a season. He's stolen 30 bases in a season. Yeah, he had a 30-30 yeah. season. And, you know, the list goes on. And almost every time I use him, it's like 0.3%. And <laughs> I am no master of that game. But uh, Hojo and Jeff Bagwell are <laughs> yes, are, are pretty good uh, pretty good players to be able to throw in there. But, but yeah, Lindor has a chance to join... Um, Howard Johnson, David Wright. Uh, apologies if I'm forgetting anybody else's 30-30 season. Reyes never hit 30 home runs. No. Um, never even got close to 30 home runs, I wouldn't think. I don't, I don't think so. Um, but yeah, it, it's a it, you know it's a pretty small club. And yeah. I do think the broadcast um, has done a really nice job of reinforcing the fact that Lindor is having yet another really good season. Um, I unfortunately have not made it to a game in person this year and may not, although I'm really going to try to be at Dollars for Dingers on the 30th, as you all should. Yes. Um, But I, I... don't get the feeling that people are still complaining about Lindor and his contract and all that. I'm sure there are some fans who are at the ballpark who, you know, who act that way, but um, yeah, Lindor has just been a, a treat and I am still very glad that we get to watch him play every day. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, we, we should, we should also talk about Pete Alonzo who has 42 home runs this time of this recording and is you know has an outside shot of collecting uh 40 home runs sorry 50 home runs this season which is something very very unusual i mean first of all let's just talk about pete alonso's consistency aside from the 60 game 2020 season which will always have to be an asterisk in his home run uh dominance he has hit 53 37 40 and 42 home runs and 42 is, again, that is not a complete number. Uh, they said on the broadcast the other day, I believe the only player ever in history to hit four out of five 40 home run seasons is Ralph Kiner in a row. That That's that's crazy. And if 2020 had been a regular season, he was on pace to hit 40. And if he had a slightly up 2021, he would have, he would have done that for – easily and he could still do that he could still hit four four uh, out of five seasons if he hits uh depending on the next couple of seasons so my point is just that alonzo is, is hitting home runs at uh not an unprecedented rate that is overstating a little bit but a prodigious rate and a rate that i think sometimes gets forgotten in this uh in this you know unfortunate met season where it's it's hard to get too excited about anything that's happening because of, you know, the general state of the Mets at the moment. Although, as we've discussed in the past, general state, not as bad as they hoped it would be for tanking purposes. But, uh, 
you know, whole other story. Anyway, yeah, uh, yeah Alonzo is, is worthy of, of, of some praise and some discussion. Absolutely. And I know a lot of people, it may not be the majority opinion, but there are people who are concerned about um, Steve Cohen's money and how much of it gets spent on keeping Alonzo around and all that. But to me, that is just an absolute no brainer. Um, I may have said this on the show before, but I'll, I'll have to hand it to the uh, comment section on Amazing Avenue for repeatedly pointing out that he has just been durable. Um, you know, his IL stints have been very infrequent and very brief in his major league career. Um, and, and the combination of health and, as you just said, consistency in terms of power hitting is just not that easy to come by. And I don't want to get too, too ahead of ourselves. I know people worry about what his power looks like into his mid and, and late 30s, right? If you start thinking about a really long-term contract um, that would start after next season with the Mets. But the optimist in me is already thinking, hmm, he should get to 200 home runs sometime early next year. Um, despite having gotten started a little bit late, I think he's got a chance at getting up into that 450, 500 range. Um, you know, whether or not he maintains that power late into his 30s like like some hitters have, um, we'll find out. But I'm already thinking along the lines of, well, if he finishes with, say, you know, 450, 460 home runs, um, is, you know, is that going to be put in a proper context that one of his, you know, what would have been uh, presumably another 30 or 40 or, or more home run season in 2020 uh, was cut short by the pandemic. Right. Um, you know, it's sort of unique timing there. Uh, Judge is the only other guy who, um, you know, I think has been consistently at this level of hitting home runs and was active uh, before, during, and after that pandemic season. But uh, now uh, you're not looking at the Mets all-time home run, home run leaders, are you right now? That, no, no, not. Okay. I, I'm going to ask you some questions about them. That's why. Sure. Okay. First of all, we should, we should, we should note that Pete is going to beat Pete can possibly move into number four later this season. He's that close to number four, but top 10 home run hitters from 10 to one. How many do you think you can get? Career? Career. No, with the Mets. Right, yeah, yeah, no, but like... Yes, over their career, yes. Right, as a not, not single season, just... No, talk. and I'll give okay. you a hint. Pete is number five. Yeah, so it's got to be what, Strawberry and Wright? Yep. I mean, geez, after all we just talked about with Howard Johnson, he might be... He's number four. Okay, uh, so that's... So you have one, two, four, and five right now. I said Strawberry, Wright, somebody, Johnson. Okay, uh... Uh, Piazza's not up there, is he? He's number three, yes. Oh, okay, he is. Yeah. Okay. All so right. Top five. Can you get any of the, of the bottom five? The bottom five is a wild list, by the way. Yeah. I mean, I, he wasn't a huge power hitter, but he just played for the Mets for so long that Ed Cranepool probably has a He's shot. number 13. Not, oh, not no. All right. Team. Number 13. All right. Yeah, the longevity there. And um, let's see. Five more. I know for a fact you and I together saw three of these players. And I'm going to guess that you and I separately saw one of them. I'm going to presume you and I did not. See, I, I know you and I did not see one of them. Okay. Um, hmm. I mean, I kind of just default to uh, Delgado, Beltron, Gary Carter. Uh, Beltron's number seven. Neither okay. Carter nor Delgado make the top ten. Yeah, if Delgado had been just signed, and when like, they botched it, yes, he probably one off season instead of playing for the Marlins before they traded for him a year later. Yes, uh, oh, oh, he still wouldn't have made the top. No, he might have because he okay. he's at one hundred four career Mets home runs, and number ten is one twenty four. Yeah, he probably would have, he would have hit twenty home runs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, 
Jeez, who who am I forgetting? There's got to be somebody from uh, somebody from the 2000s who I'm missing, right? So like the 21st century? Yeah. Yes, there's two you're missing. Okay. Jeez. <laughs> you would think you would think I'd remember these guys a little bit better. Well, uh, one of them really surprised me that that he's top ten. Yeah. I, I mean, well, you ready this for him? Yeah, I guess. I mean, late '90s and a little bit of the 2000s, but Fonzie didn't hit enough. Uh, he's number twelve. Okay. All right. Uh, All right. But yeah, no, I I give up. I, okay. Uh, so you had one through five. We're gonna go from ten to one. Number ten, Todd Hudley. Oh yeah, of course. Number nine. This is one that surprised me. Lucas Duda, hundred and twenty-five. Mm. Number eight, Michael Conforto, hundred and thirty-two. Oh wow, that's that, also surprising. Yeah, that that really surprises me. Number seven, uh, Beltron, one forty-nine. Number six, Dave Kingman, one fifty-four. Oh yeah. Yeah, an interesting list, for sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, so uh, Alonzo is uh, just four away from tying Howard Johnson, so he could very, very reasonably be in the number four spot at the end of the season. Piazza is 220, which means that if he has a healthy year next year, he's likely number three before the end of next season. David Wright's number 242. If he has a great season, he could theoretically pass right next year probably not and then daryl 252 so yeah this is uh this seems like a move that almost everybody agrees has to be done because i just think that alonzo is a guy who's so much more valuable to the mets than he is to another franchise those play i when I was younger, I always thought that argument was bullshit, that people were more valuable to one team versus another. But I think that with, specifically with Pete, he just seems to be, he, he first of all, he can handle the pressure of playing in New York. I know that that can also be overstated a lot of times, but he clearly can, he can handle playing in New York. He seems to like playing in New York. He is, um, you know, he plays a, a position that is not a premium defensive position, but the Mets don't have anybody necessarily knocking on the first base doorstep just yet. I know people have talked about maybe, you know, one of the young kids being a first baseman of the future, but they're not hitting enough to prove that they're first baseman of the future. It all signs to me just point to this is the Mets. This is a player that should be enshrined as a Met essentially forever. And they have a chance to maybe not extend him that far out this offseason. Maybe they do. Cohen has the money. Cohen understands what Cohen understands what makes Pete special because he's a Mets fan. Yeah. He just has to do it. That that's that's it. He just has to do it. Yeah, and I, I really think um I, I love advanced stats. I probably default to letting wins above replacement decide who's better um, <laughs> in, in a lot of cases. But I do think first baseman in general, the positional adjustment just seems to penalize them so badly. And yes. you, know, you, you watch the Mets. Um, I, I guess I can understand that Pete isn't Jeff Bagwell out there, right? Um, he's not. He's not Keith Hernandez to go with a Mets uh, reference. Yes. Yeah. He's not exceptionally gifted at defense, but he is really solid there. And I think, I think it's unfair to any first baseman who is just doing the job they are supposed to do in the field and hitting as well as he has hit or a a comparable first baseman has hit. Um, I, I think it's an overcompensation uh, you know, I, I guess it's like a, I'm thinking of it like grading, right? Grading on a scale or, or whatever, whatever mm-hmm. the term is. It's been a while since I've been in a class, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I'd, I'd rather give the, a little bit extra boost to, um, the premium defensive positions that they, I know they already have one, you know, when you look at all this, but, um, 
it's really oversimplifying things to say that Pete is like only a three and a half win player. In my opinion, Absolutely. I'd, like, I'd, ra- I'd rather say that Lindor had a seven war season this year and Pete had a five. Right. Right. Like, and, and okay, sure. If you, if you raise everybody up, then, you know, does that make it relatively, uh, any, any different? I don't know. But th- my point is that I would not just say that Pete is only that he, um, you know, he's this eternally upbeat lives for playing baseball, um, has made a significant effort to, to be somebody who's involved in charitable, uh, mm-hmm. You know things in the community. Um, this is the kind of player that you, you want to have on your team, uh, and the fact that he came up through the system and all that. Uh, you know, we talked about it a little bit last week. Just that little bit of difference of what that means. Um, you know, even as people who are very much not opposed to uh, bringing in big free agents from outside, it it's just a little different when the player has only worn your uniform. Yes. So, so yeah, I hope Pete is around for a long time. And and what I was getting at uh, earlier a little bit was, you know, if he gets into that 450 plus home run range, um, I, I hope it's just put into the right context that, you know, that's still a really remarkable achievement if he gets there. Um, Absolutely. And yeah. So yeah, I, I, I hope he's a Met forever. Um, I hope he keeps hitting 40 home runs or more per year until he's my age now <laughs> and, <laughs> and puts himself into sort of like a fringe Cooperstown conversation because um, I, I think that's how good his power is. You know, I, I don't think this is uh, somebody who's going to go the way of Jason Bay or Lucas Duda in his early 30s. Maybe I'm wrong. And hey, if I am and Steve Cohen spent some money on it, uh, I think we're all going to be okay. <laughs> yes, yes, well said. Um, yeah, it just it just makes too much sense to me to bring him, to, to keep him around. So let's hope that happens this offseason so that we can stop talking about it every minute of next season. That's my biggest hope with all. Even, even bigger than my hope that the Mets retain him, is my hope that the Mets do it this off season, so we don't have to talk about it every podcast for all of next season, right? Um, yeah, you know that, that would be nice. And I will say in advance that if it goes that way, I'm going to just say the same thing over and over and over, which is that I will believe he's playing for another team when he's introduced by another team. Yes. Um, you know, a friend of mine pointed out, look how, look how ugly it got and seemed with Aaron judge and the Yankees and look where he's playing today. Right. Yep. Um, you know, this it's, there's just not that much power in the game. Like it feels easier to maybe find a 20 home run hitter or 25 home run hitter now than it was maybe a few years ago, Mm -hmm. but there's somebody who you can go in every year and say they might hit 50, um, that that is pretty rare. So. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to even think of the last. What was the last free agent the Mets signed that we felt fifty home runs was a possibility? I mean, I guess Beltron. But yeah, right. I mean, he he had hit enough that I, I don't know if anybody would have said, like bet on him hitting fifty. Um, but, right. But, you know, if you had like one season that was just a, a real, you know, amazing year based on what he had already done. Yeah. Uh, I feel like he and Delgado, I mean, Delgado was a trade, obviously, like we yeah. mentioned a few minutes ago. But, but those were like the guys who had the kind of bat that, I mean, Delgado topped out at 44. But that, you know, that's close enough that it was a possibility. Right. I mean, he hit 38 with the Mets twice. Yeah. Uh, you know that that's not that far off, but yeah, a perennial candidate to do it. I I, I don't know if anybody ever could have Piazza? reasonably had that expectation. Piazza hmm. wasn't quite that much of a home run hitter. Piazza hit a lot of home runs, but right, yeah. yeah. I mean, like you know, it's just it's it's very rare 
to have anybody to have you sign anybody and say this guy could hit 50 home runs for us next year and yeah pete pete's in that conversation and uh he's young and he again he wants to be a met and that will always that will always uh matter a lot to the fans um but yeah so also this week we had a spot start from jose buto who i i think um you know I can say for myself, I, I have never seen anything from Buto that super impressed me on the Major League Mound. You know, he's had a couple of, of very uh, cromulent appearances for the Mets in the past, but this past start he made against Washington, now he did lose the game, but he went uh, seven innings, giving up just two earned runs and striking out six. For a spot start from a quad A player, that's about as good as you can hope for. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Just wanted to shout him out because it's yeah. uh it's rare that 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 we get that kind of performance. Although I have to say, I forgot that he had gone he had a nice start uh rather a nice appearance against Oakland in a in an extra inning game where he went five innings, gave up one earned run earlier this season also. Um but that was back in April when things were very, very different for the Mets. Uh and the expectations were very, very different for the Mets. Um, but the other thing we should talk about is uh, a a potential offseason storyline, which is that the Mets. Well, how how did you phrase it? That David Stearns has permission to interview with other teams now. Is, is that the the way we're, we're stating it? Yeah, I think the reporting. I believe it was from the Athletic, but I know SNY covered it a little bit, and I forget who who did what first. Um, mm-hmm. But essentially, David Stearns reached a point in his uh, contract with the Brewers where as of August 1st, he was free to start engaging with other teams. So um, there's been some reporting around that suggesting that the seemingly inevitable uh, union between Stearns and the Mets Stearns, like Steve Cohen grew up, grew up a Mets fan. Um, he's found success being an executive in a front office in Milwaukee um, you know, there, there's been a lot there and just the fact that the Mets haven't hired anybody in that role, but Steve Cohen keeps talking about hiring somebody for that role. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of signs seeming to point to that happening. So, uh, it, it was the combination of the Stearns reporting, uh, and then also the fact that the Mets let go of a significant number of people in their front office. Uh, and, and really it's nothing against them that, I didn't even recognize their names, you know? So from our perspective, I have no idea, you know, what, what they were doing and how they were at their jobs. But, um, people took that as a sign, especially with the clarification on what Stearns was allowed to do, um, a sign that something is happening here. And Steve Cohen's sort of long-term front office person, um, might be coming back into New York city. So, uh, we'll see it's, you know, there's never a guarantee, um, but getting somebody who's had a good track record working, uh, you know, for a team that, um, I mean, the Brewers aren't like the cheapest team in baseball or anything, but I'm sure their budget has been a little more limited than the post Wilpon Mets. So (laughs) yeah, that's saying something. Sure. Yeah, I mean the the Wilpon Mets, the Brewers might have outspent them for all I know. That's true. Yes. <laughs> no, and, you know, and Stearns has a really good reputation around baseball. I mean, those things. You know, I'm always dubious to report those things because um, the people who give those glowing remarks are usually people who either have worked for the person or who want to work for the person. So it's it, it's hard to tell how. Um, how truly accurate those reports are, you know. I I I I, I seem to remember uh, a number of disgraced Met front office people having great marks, also. So, um, you know, just take this all with a grain of salt. But no, I mean, Stern seems like an incredibly smart guy, uh, a guy who's very good at his job, a guy who is going to be able to put a vision forth for the Mets front office because that has been the biggest hurdle that I think the Mets have had in the Wilpon era. Not, I'm sorry, in the post-Wilpon era, which was that even when Sandy Alderson was 
hypothetically at the wheel. There were a lot of Wilpon leftovers still in the front office, in, including Sandy Alderson. And there was uh, there was just this sense that the Mets had not yet like figured out how they were going to be running under Wilpon. Uh, under again un- after Wilpon, I keep. I am so scarred by the Wilpon years, it's hard for me to even say the words after Wilpon, apparently. <laughs> um, but, you know, it just seemed like there were lots of sort of half measures taken, lots of stopgap people there. It seems, I think Billy Epler sticks around as GM, at least for one more season, even if Stearns is brought in. But, you know, for, for so much of our baseball lives, because you and I are about the same age, it seems. GM was the ultimate power position in the front office. And over the last 10 years, it's become very clear that, no, it's actually president of baseball operations. That's the real power position there. And so, you know, will Billy Epler have a role with the team as GM? Absolutely. Will his role be as as meaty as it is right now? Probably not with, with the proper president of baseball operations in place. Um, and I think that that is the final step for the Steve Cohen era to begin to have a a true track record of its own. You know, obviously, Epler did a very, very good job at the trade deadline this year. The signing of Kodai Senga, which, um, you know, was, was a risk, is looking more and more brilliant every day. I, I think that Epler is probably a... Uh, a decent to good GM, but without this framework around him, his his ability has been somewhat limited. And so I don't think he's going to suddenly turn into Billy Bean with a, a great baseball opera, base, president of baseball operations behind him. But I do think that before we close the book on the Billy Epler era, he deserves a shot to at least be the GM with a fully functional front office built by himself and the president of baseball operations sort of in concert. Uh, do you agree with that? Or are you hoping to show Billy Epler the door sooner than I am? No, I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, yeah, no, no strong feelings. You win some, you lose some. And, and so far, no scandal. So <laughs> uh, the, bar, the bar is low. Yeah, yeah it is. But uh, but yeah no I don't I don't have any issues with Epler and um, if somebody with Stearns's reputation comes in and you know thinks that continuing to work with Epler is the right decision then then for now let's just trust that decision. Yeah, and I know that there there is a lot of talk about uh, the Mets signing another Japanese pitcher uh, last name Yamamoto I forget his first name off the top of my head it's not Jordan. Uh, a different baseball Yamamoto. Um, and Epler has had a lot of success dealing with uh, Japanese players. So I understand I wanted to keep him around possibly for that. We haven't talked about the um, the situation that has happened since Shohei Otani hurt his elbow. What is your just sort of gut feeling about what's going to happen with his free agency now? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, that that's... Jeez, that's the billion-dollar question, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I like. I. It's so hard to answer. I before the injury, I thought he would easily clear five hundred million. Uh, in, you know, in his contract, but. Yeah, I don't know. I I I think he's going to sign somewhere for the rest of his career. Um, it's just figuring out what your comfort level is if, you know, he ends up being just a hitter. Right. Which, I mean, which he's really, really, really good at. Like, I was going to say, <laughs> he still has a major league home run uh, lead right now, I believe. So, yeah, uh, you know, he's he's quite the hitter, but the value of being just a hitter versus being a two-way player is, is you know, considerably less, obviously. Right. And if this injury requires a second Tommy John surgery, then – I think teams can reasonably say that they have concerns about what happens to the complete player 
if that comes up again, um, you know, if, if the UCL is an issue a third time down the road, then what does that look like in terms of his performance as a hitter? Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, all of these guys uh, to make it to where they are, they're competitors. And I think Otani will push to do everything he is humanly capable of doing on a baseball field until he can't anymore. Um, and I think he's shown, and and I think Bryce Harper maybe a little bit too comes into the equation here as somebody who had Tommy John surgery um, and made it back out there as a designated hitter, uh, you know, earlier this year. Um, yeah, there's there's still a whole lot of value in that. I mean, I guess it it'll depend a lot on Otani, right? Like if you had some simple um conditions in the contract um 100 innings pitch 150 innings pitch you know those sorts of things um is he going to be open to a chunk of that salary being uh reliant upon him actually being able to pitch and i think teams would at least try to do something like that i mean it, yeah. maybe there's some risk maybe you approach him with that and he's um it's a deal breaker you know that's insulting. Uh, of course, I'm going to be a two-way player, and I want to be paid accordingly. Um, but I, I could see it kind of going that way, um, where there's some incentives. That's the word I was looking for, um, based on pitching. You know, so sort of a guaranteed salary with expectations as a hitter, uh, and then maybe what brings it into you know the next, you know tier of baseball salary that we've never seen before um, is dependent on the the pitching side of things. But I don't know. That might be overanalyzing it. <laughs> he is this singular player in the game, uh, both right now and in the history of the game. So he might just be able to say, eh, nope, I, I'm going to get what I'm worth somewhere. Uh, and for the record, again, uh, the Mets owner can afford it. Uh, I know some Mets fans have concerns about being over the luxury tax every year and the penalties that apply in the draft and all that. But Steve Cohen is so much more willing to spend than everybody else in the league that I'd rather he keep doing it while the current CBA is in place because I feel like they're only going to try to screw him more uh, yes. when the next one comes up. So, yeah, I there, there is no way that I would ever be against the Mets pursuing Shohei Otani um, as as hard as any other team in the league. Yeah, I wonder if Otani, and I've seen other people float this idea. I wonder if he would be willing to do a one year contract as just a hitter if he needs Tommy John, yeah, or or, or a two year contract as just a hitter, whatever it is, and then say, you know, I'll be back in twenty twenty five, twenty six, whatever it is as a two-way player and see what it looks like then. Right. Yeah, no, I, it's an interesting concept, but there is still the, there's still the risk of being, you know, the position player. Um, if you're in that Tommy John recovery year as a pitcher, and then all of a sudden a knee injury or an Achilles or, you know, something along those lines yep. comes mm -hmm. up, then, then that contract may never come. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see how, you know, how he goes into it or, you know, if he were to sign a short-term deal, how much that would need to be. Um, you know, even just as a hitter, I would think he would have to get more than Scherzer or Verlander got from the Mets on a, on a you know, annual basis. I would think so, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it'll be fascinating, to you know, to watch it happen and – it is nice to at least be able to talk about the Mets possibly being involved. Yeah, I agree. Any other Mets related news before we move on to our music picks? Um, I always defer to the minor league guys, uh, but I did get a chance finally to see uh, Acuna Gilbert and Kevin Parada had gotten promoted uh, to Binghamton just before I was able to get over there for a game and, uh, Parada didn't do much in the night that I saw him, but he's hit a few home runs at the level. And Acuna looked good. 
Um, almost went two for two in stolen base attempts, but was thrown out just slightly on the second one. Uh, and Gilbert really was the the one of the three um, who caught my attention. Just everything he hit was hit well. Uh, he didn't have a ton to show for it. He did get a double uh, in the game that I went to, but he had a couple of home runs in Hartford last night. Um, he's hit a few. Um, and, and, you know, not that you can necessarily translate what's happening in Binghamton to what will happen in Queens in a year or two years or three years. Um, but the entire vibe of that team felt different from any time last year, even when Alvarez was there um, or earlier this year. Uh, you know, this infusion of just a few players who are legitimately uh, great prospects very quickly changes how a minor league team and the and really the whole experience um, felt. So hopefully that uh, means there's good things to come for the Mets down the road. But yeah, that's it. I'm on, I'm on Mets stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, it just seems like there there's a lot of very exciting stuff on the horizon for the Mets. And even if only a certain amount of, uh, you know, there's only going to be a certain amount of success, obviously, with any minor league system. But it just seems like the Mets, for the first time in a long time, have stocked their system where it seems like success for at least one of these players seems likely. And that's fun. So we'll see who that person is. Anyway. Music picks, Chris. What's your what's your uh, suggestion for this week? I am going with more Minnesota. So if anybody read the series preview over on Amazing Avenue um, and scrolled all the way down to the poll, you may have seen all the Prince references. But uh, Minnesota is sort of this, I think, underappreciated, uh, even among music lovers, place where a lot of great music has come in, uh, come out of. Um, and I was so torn on which record to pick. Uh, but Husker Du is from there. And I I landed on Zen Arcade. And, I, you know, this is one of the, uh, for any fans of the band, whether it's New Day Rising or Zen Arcade, is probably an endless uh, debate if you want to get real serious about it. But, but yeah, um, just an outstanding record start to finish. Um, you know, we talked a little bit last week about Pixies songs being shorter on average than, uh, you know, sort of your standard rock song. Uh, and that sort of blend of punk and alternative and everything, Husker Du uh, definitely influenced a lot of bands. Uh, and yeah, Zen Arcade to me is just very, very slightly above New Day Rising as my number one record of theirs. Um, anybody who's been paying really close attention to literally everything I've done on the internet about the Mets this year might have caught the uh, Grant Hartwig flip your Hartwig reference that I worked yep. into yep. <laughs> uh, either, either a morning news or a recap or whatever it was. Um, but yeah, Zen arcade is, I, I will admit when you look and you see 23 songs on a record, if this is new to you, it might seem overwhelming. Um, the first time you hear Hare Krishna without vowels and, and part of the title there, um, you might think like your lawnmower is exploding or something, but <laughs> trust me, stick, stick with it. Um, but one, all of it's great, but if you need to do it in pieces, that's fine. Uh, you know, even though the songs are a little bit on the shorter side, uh, on average, but there's just gem after gem after gem on this. And, and to have a record that's got this many tracks, um, and it's just so balance throughout my two favorite songs on the record are pink turns to blue and turn on the news which are tracks 17 and 22 um you know most bands are lucky if they get a catchy song in their first five yeah. um so <laughs> so yeah like <laughs> it's uh it, just a remarkable album start to finish uh you know new day rising was definitely my introduction as was probably the case for most people who heard Who's Could Do for the first time, but uh, just something about Zen Arcade that uh, that really stands out. So uh, with the Mets in Minnesota, we didn't even, and I'm, I'm not going to bring it back to baseball other than to say we went a whole episode without even talking about Carlos Correa, but we can talk about him next week. Uh, 
they're in Minnesota and uh, that, you know, I think it's an appropriate reference and, and recommendation. So there you have it. Yes. I, I, I will always choose new day rising personally. Um, but it's, it's one in one a right. Um, oh yeah, totally. Uh, they're just, they're just fantastic records. No, no matter how you, how you shake them. My only who's going to do criticism is I wish the drums were recorded better. Yeah, no, it, <laughs> I, I, I agree. And I think I might've made some slightly different choices. Like the way Slater Kenny did the woods and, mm-hmm. and had things sort of clipping and like excess overdriven on purpose. Yes. Like something about that approach just clicks a little bit more for me, but the songs are just so good on, on the Husker Du records that I, I can, but usually I'll, I'll have that thought like once per listen, <laughs> like, Oh, maybe I would have done this and this a little bit differently, but you know, who am I to, <laughs> to judge right exactly no but yeah no I, i'm i'm totally with you like i would love to hear without taking away the signature sound of the band a slightly different master of both of those records yeah yeah i mean it's you know it's like uh yeah i mean all of bob mold stuff is is fantastic but like that first sugar record is in my top three Bob Mold albums, and that has a little bit of data production on it, but nowhere near the data production that the uh, that the Who's Gonna Do records have on it. And everything yeah. Bob Mold's done in the 21st century, essentially, except for that one like uh, sort of discoy record he did, have all sounded like what I would like what, what I wish Who's Gonna Do records sounded like sonically. Um, but yeah, that's your pick, not mine. I'm just I'm talking about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for mine, I am going to go to a record by jazz guitarist Bill Frizzell. Um, I teach guitar lessons part time, and there was recently a conversation in our little office about who is the best living guitar player. And the two people I put up there as my personal two favorite living players are uh, someone I know you'll agree with me about, about is uh, Nels Klein. I yep. think Nels is very interesting stuff. And Bill Frizzell is the other. And Frizzell is not a flashy guitar player at all, but just uses the instrument in really creative ways. I first heard one of these songs in a episode. Well, that's not true. The first time I was I I I I knowingly heard one of these songs was in an episode of This American Life. And I had to seek out I I this is pre-Shazam. So I think I emailed the This American Life team to find out what the song was because I was oh, so wow. I, I, this is like early two thousands, uh, and um, it's a song called "Tales from the Far Side," which was written for a one-time TV special of Gary Larson's comic strip "The Far Side," and there are a number of songs from this that were all in that uh, TV special, which is not available online or anywhere. Um, it is it has become a really hard thing to track down. And so I think it's like five or six of these tracks are from that Tales from the Far Side uh, animated TV special. Um, and the rest are from other film work and stuff that Frizzell did. The record's called Quartet. I should say that. It's called Quartet. It came out in 1996. And the the makeup of the quartet is really crazy. It's a, So Frizzell plays guitar. There's a trumpet, a trombone, and then somebody who switches on and off between tuba and violin. It's a very, very interesting uh, arrangement of of instruments, but the music is really moody and really beautiful. And ha- I am it, this is funny. Uh, people who listen to the show know I love uh, jazz. I am not always the biggest trumpet guy. I'm much more of a saxophone guy versus a trumpet guy. But Ron Miles, who plays uh, trumpet on this, is fantastic, and the record is just so so good. And uh, yeah, I, Bill Frizzell is one of those guys that uh, it's hard to recommend a starting place because so many of his records are so different. But this one, I think, if, if you have an interest in sort of uh, experimental music at all, if you like jazz at all, I would really give a shout out to this Bill Frizzell record called Quartet. Um, the one sketch I do remember, I, I watched that Tales from the Far Side special when it was on TV in the 90s. And the one sketch I remember is represented here. It was called the Bacon Bunch, and the it was like uh, the Brady Bunch, but it was all pigs. And so you saw like you know the the nine panel grid of the Brady Bunch you'd always see with the different people there, whatever. 
Uh, and so they'd show all these these like these pigs, and then it said today's episode a bad day for Marsha, and it was just a a snake with the outline of a pig in its stomach. <laughs> the snake ate it, and then it said next week a bad day for Jan, and it was the exact same image. Um, and I very much remember that. And there's a song called "The Bacon Bunch" on this record, so uh, you cannot find that sketch on YouTube. It has been uh, taken down uh, by Gary Larson. I don't know if it's available on DVD. This is all just memories of a show that aired almost 30 years ago. Uh, but this this record is fantastic, regardless of whether you watch Chelsea on the Far Side uh, in 1994 or not. So, yeah, that's my pick. Two very different picks from us this week. But I, I always like when we have different uh, different suggestions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Frizzell, um, I've had the pleasure of seeing a couple of times. Um at Solid Sound or other Wilco-related activities. Um, but somebody whose music I should probably listen to more of on its own. Yeah, uh, he's he's great. Uh, and, and a guy who is still out there playing all the time. Like, I think he just did a month at the Vanguard last month. Like, with different... I think it was a different, a different lineup of musicians playing with him every week for a month or something like that. Um, but yeah, just incre- an incredible guy. Well, thank you for listening. As always, we appreciate it. Go to homerunapplesauce.com or patreon.com slash homerunapplesauce to support this podcast directly. Get your pledges in for Dollars for Dingers. It's live. Pledge some money. Do some good in the world. And the Mets are cooperating so far. Lots of home runs so far uh, for the Dollars for Dingers tracker. Let's see. I believe so far, what is our grand total at? Oh, it's, it, there's, not a, there's not a total on here yet. But uh, I am personally on the hook for 24 bucks so far. Nice. I, I did put a, a five dollar per Ronnie Mauricio home run as a thing just for you, Chris. So, oh, all right, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, for those that don't know, just real quickly, dollars for dingers. It's a fundraiser that our partners at a pot of their own have been involved with now for five years. It's the fifth year. Uh, all the money raised, people pledge an amount per home run. All that goes to the National Domestic Violence Hotline, and. Um, as part of that, you get to make some extra pledges too. So I have pledged extra $2 per home run if it's a Vogelback home run, because I love Vogelback. An extra $3 per position player pitching appearance. So I, I, that's always a fun thing that is very, very rare now. Uh, an extra $4 for an inside the park home run, and an extra 5 if it's a Mauricio home run. So um, go out there and and make a pledge. Oh, sorry. I, I do have a, We have already raised over $2,000 this year. And the Mets have only played, is it f- six games in September? Five games in September? Something like that? Because of all yeah, the off not days? Many. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, hope that that number will rise considerably. But please go do that. You can find all that information at homerandapplesauce.com. And uh, you can follow Chris on social media at Chris McShane. I'm on social media at Brian Internet. And until next time, let's go Mets.